Welcome to the second episode of VSTML 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who was tossing and turning for hours before this podcast, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who I've heard put on his dating bio that he likes to put gherkins in his mouth, David Vindley. Yeah, that wasn't what I thought you were going to go with. <laughs> Predictable. Yeah. <laughs> what did you expect, dare I ask? There was one about someone seeming really tall and then not being at one point. Oh no, that would be too obvious. I would never make height-related jokes. Oh no. I mean, you wouldn't. You're someone who seems oldest, but at the same time kind of smells like a pirate ship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would never give you the short end of the stick. No. Yeah, you guys are both above that. And I believe you have some housekeeping to start us with, Bindles. I know. Fresh off our discussion last week about how you're the only person who does some housekeeping. Um, so two things. Firstly, I double-checked, and the Salvadoran Civil War ended in January 1992, so it wasn't still going while they were filming. That's a shame. Is it? <laughs> well, it um, reduces the chances of Vidim Afghanistan coming up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> also, in slightly more disappointing news, the Dutch did not actually eat the Spanish king. Um, oh. I know. I completed the Eighty Years' War, which was at the start of the Dutch Golden Age, with the death of the Dutch Prime Minister at the end of the Golden Age. How could you? I know. And I actually have one bit of housekeeping um, based on this episode, and that is the fact that I don't know how Logan ever suspected Hannah, who went home in this episode, because Bindles actually spoiled it. Did I? Well, it has been a week since we recorded it. Oh no, not a week ago. He spoiled it in Hong Kong, Philippines. Because you specifically talked about Hannah being the first boot of this season in Hong Kong, Philippines. Huh. When we were talking about Jan Willem and Jeroen, and the fact that Jan Willem's clip showed him interviewing the first boot of El Salvador, Nicaragua, Hannah. Oh, yeah. I gotta go back. <laughs> and I actually made a note of it at the time, knowing that we were doing this season next, going, I need to bring that up in episode two. Well, that's good, because now I can, you know, rest easy about not accidentally spoiling them all, because Logan's not going to remember. Oh, God, no, Logan never remembers anything like this. It's great. You can slip anything past him, as we proved in Hong Kong Philippines. I mean, I've got up to the edit where your intro is something along the lines of the guy who is happy that nothing can ever happen to the money. <laughs> Just at that point, making a blatant reference to the fact that Logan was not on Susan. Went right over his head. It was great. <laughs> I like these hidden clues because the less I pay attention to specific throwaway comments that both of you are saying, the less I get spoiled for future seasons that we cover. Yeah, like we can talk about future seasons all we want because Logan will not pay attention. But yeah, didn't Richard and Joey make the top three of the first season of Amazing Race Australia? Spoilers. Don't worry, if you do pay attention, we'll get a goat to piss on you. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> And did you enjoy this episode, Logan, out of interest? Uh, the first task was a bit difficult to keep track of. I think it was more it was more supposed to be focused just on the comedy aspect of it rather than trying to sift through the sabotages because it's really it's a bit more difficult to pick out how people were sabotaging it since we got to see such a small percentage of the footage. We didn't even get to see how people voted on whose story it was as well. So that's a lot of information that we miss out as the audience. So we can't really play along with that challenge. We can only make jokes about the person who wrote that they like to eat cucumbers and gherkin. 
and the other two tasks I thought were a lot better. We had a, we had a decent laser game this episode, and I was completely convinced that Yan was going to be executed this round by going all in on one person. And boy, did I get fooled on that one. The reason that I asked that question is because I said to Bindles that after the first challenge of this episode, I was laughing way too hard and had to pause it. Because it is a pure comedy challenge, not just the dating bios themselves, which obviously have a lot of hilarious quotes and are an absolute goldmine for someone like me doing podcast notes and doing intros. But also there is a delicious sight gag in that challenge that I had forgotten about and there is no way that you guys had spotted that will come back and it just really made me laugh. I had to rewind the episode to make sure that I'd uh, not mistook it because of how much it was making me laugh. Huh, do tell. I'll tell you when you get when we get to that bit, because I have something to send you on Facebook as well that I think will make you laugh. Oh, and we get the first ever trust nobody. 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 Yeah, that's the thing. It answers the question that I had probably about a year ago when I was looking for the clean version of Trust Nobody to add to our intro music for the uh, for the live episodes. Like I had forgotten where Horace says trust nobody, and the one bit of the first three episodes that I didn't go back and skip through to try and find it was in the uh, was in the test scenes. I didn't think it'd be hidden there. So when it appeared at the end of this episode, I'm like, oh my god, I finally found it. What the hell? Why didn't I look at the test scenes? How is it? How is it not the title of the episode? Considering it's used in almost every episode uh, since then, it's been used as an episode title in another episode, I think. Oh, later on in this season? Not in this season. I think it's in a different season. I'm going to have to go back and double check it, but I think I'm reasonably sure that they have used "Trust Nobody" as the title for an episode. I'm surprised that has been auto-tuned. Yeah, it was in season thirteen. Yeah. It was the uh, the finale, the finale yeah. title of um, of South Africa was "Trust Nobody." I knew it had been used. See, unlike Logan, I pay attention. <laughs> I've got. I I always take notes every episode. You take notes. You just don't listen to what me and Bindles are saying to try and lead you towards the correct mole. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, I wanna I wanna figure it out on my own. I tried to read between the lines last time and was on the mole in the last episode and I convinced myself out of it because I overthought the notes that you guys were saying. I never said that we tell you the truth all the time. We're basically a survivor production team. Trust nobody. We like to occasionally lie to your face. So previously, ten new celebrities were surprised by a bus ride with the mole before a convoluted translation system saw everyone fall apart in a fireworks show. Given the opportunity to take advantages, Pepine faced a choice and saved everyone, sending them all through to episode two. And PC Anne says that Vidim 11 started with fireworks. To their relief, Pepine saved everyone, which was generous, but there is a lot of mistrust after the walk of temptation, and the candidates still have to walk through a minefield together. I love Peter Yan. I know. I love how, because he's a journalist, like his intros feel a little bit more accurate than, say, Jeff Probst's revisionism. Yeah, there's no editorialising in there. Yeah. And the episode title is It's All Theatre. And Anna says that everything is still tense after the path of temptation and people being selfish instead of playing for the team and earning them money. Is she the one wearing the Star Wars shirt? Is that Anna? Is it Anna? Hannah or Mary Anna? Anna's the one who says that everything is still tense after path of temptation. I know the difference from their faces. You obviously don't. 
I, I, I by the end of this episode, I I was I was getting one hundred percent accuracy with tell uh, with telling apart Anna, Hannah, and Mariana. What What about Papana? Yeah, I think Anna is the one with the Star Wars shirt, though. Yeah, I finally dis- distinguished between their faces uh, this episode. I was proud of myself. Very proud of myself. Well, congratulations on learning to tell three white people apart. <laughs> I know. And Jan says he slept badly. He was tossing and turning for several hours because he has a feeling already as to who the mole is and doesn't want to succumb to tunnel vision. If only there was a camera in his room that would just show him kicking in his sleep and struggling and wincing. I'm sure there are some specialist websites who would love a camera feed of Jan tossing and turning in the night. It's art. It's art. That's what he's saying while tossing and turning? (laughs) Just the whole time. (laughs) This took a turn. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets OnlyFans at this point. Only Jan's. (laughs) (laughs) Only Jan's. (laughs) Only Fanners. But which one's that for? Is that for Hannah's, Anna's, or Mariana's, or Pepana's? Yes. It's only as weird as one of the Maths Australia brides doing an OnlyFans with her twin, which was announced in the last week. Yeah, that is the correct response to that news. So, Jan, Anna, Hannah, and Mary Anna go into the Teatro de Santa Anna in Santa Anna. Oh no, we we have a little bit more before that because there's a very important scene between Art and Patrick who have formed a friendship. Oh yeah, coalition. Who have formed a friendship and agreed to make each other look suspicious today, which seems to work by the end of this challenge. And they are then taken, as Logan said, to the Teatro Nacional, which is also known as the Teatro Santa Anna, which Sundas takes to be a reference to Anna being the mole. They are spread out over the theatre, and when PTN walks in, Art says everyone just naturally sits up straighter. They'll be reading dating profiles, including their deviations, without mentioning certain characteristics for each other. For each time that six people or more guess the correct person, they will earn 250 euros for the pots. It smells like a pirate ship, that theatre. This first challenge is just chock full of delightful quotes, and I'd forgotten how funny this first challenge is. I'd sort of remembered it as being a kind of, yeah, it's an okay challenge. But there is a lot of comedy in both the dating bios and also what people actually say in confessional. And then, as I said, there is a beautiful side gag in this challenge as well. There's a side gag I noticed. I'm not sure if it's the same one you did, but basically as soon as they go in and sit down and everyone's sort of sitting up straight, Art does that thing where he like puts his arm over the chair next to him, even though there's nobody there. No, that wasn't what I spied. Yeah. But yeah, Art is just treating it like a date night at the movies with Mrs. Art. He's getting on Papinder. Here we go. <laughs> These puns are going to continue, aren't they? So Anna is the first person to read, and her person tends to say the wrong thing, but likes to chat in a red room with white wine and food. And then we get a quote that I'm sure Mrs. Art loved, in that Art says he's distracted by how hot Anna is, and he didn't pay attention to any of the words or the pictures that were being displayed next to her. A bit out of character for Art. Yeah, the art that you know from hosting this show is not the art that you will see in this season. Yeah, he doesn't just fl- try to flirt or hit on the other contestants uh, when he's host. He's very much casual art in this season, as opposed to formal presenter art. And certain quotes like, Anna is so hot she was distracting me on that stage, definitely do not come out of the mouth of presenter art. I don't know, he did a show with uh, Angela at one point, like after 
Venom. And apparently he got her a cannabis tray as a gift. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. But also, Angela is one of those people that I think just has a natural magnetism. Yeah. I think no matter your preferences, Angela is just an awesome person to be around. I think she oh, yeah. probably lowers all of your boundaries no matter what. Uh, so, oh, second. And his person apparently likes frog sweets. <laughs> Little frogs made of wine gums. And, and somebody who robbed Malawi of its orphans. <laughs> yeah, this quote firmly places it in the sort of early 2010s as it's Hannah who, uh, who Art is reading for. And she says she wrote with a lot of detail so people would know it was her. And she says she likes wearing t-shirts and Madonna, at least before she named herself Esther and started stealing orphans. <laughs> I don't know whether that's just a translation thing from That Dark Spark, in that it's a little bit more blunt than than maybe Marika would be. But also I love the idea that Hannah just was that blunt in her bio, and it's just like, yeah, I liked Madonna until she started, you know, the whole orphan stealing thing. <laughs> If if it was Burundian orphans, maybe I let that slide. But it was Malawian orphans, so that's just crossing the line. I've got a special relationship with Malawi. It just hurts me when Madonna or Esther, as she's calling herself now, is she just keeps going there with a big net and catching orphans. Those orphans are like twenty years old now. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. This is this is why it dates this episode so much. They could be on Vidim. To be fair, so could uh, Joachim's son, and he still wasn't. I'm sure he's tried. Oh, he's tried. So Sundas apparently has Patrick, and his bio is incredibly vague. Anna put obvious clues in hers, mainly that she's a ringleader, as we found out last week. Miriana included pretty clothes to make it obvious that she's a woman. And Karen says she can't watch and listen at the same time, which is a bit of a problem in a challenge like this. I think Soundos, when she was reading... Patrick's story, where Patrick had the quote in there, I would think for humor, and then Karen flips out saying, there's four comedians here, how the hell am I supposed to know which one of you that is? <laughs> it's my favorite moment in the whole challenge. If you were the mole, what would you do to sabotage this challenge? Um, when I'm writing the thing, I'd probably write like a meta-commentary about how bad I am at expressing myself, and then just sort of not get close to like anything relevant. Because the mole really can't have that much of an impact here. They can cost the group 250 euros, and they can obviously throw their own answers and make sure they're all wrong. Although, as we well know, someone does get a 9 out of 9, so that's maybe not the tactic the mole took, if it isn't Anna. But you can't really impact anyone else's guesses, which makes this quite a mole-like challenge. So they vote anonymously yeah. for who they thought which story was which? Yeah, so they all... Um, if you notice when they cut to the audience, they had a, a, a clipboard with nine spaces, so they had to write down who they thought each person's was as they were listening. Yeah, you can do... Yeah, the, I mean, you can throw away all nine of those guesses for sure. Any mole could do that, except maybe your own. Your own would probably guess correctly to make himself less suspicious. The thing is, if the mole isn't Anna, Anna was the only one who got a nine out of nine. So if the mole isn't Anna then the mole didn't throw all the answers. Maybe they just they just forgot. Yeah, that, that's the key piece of information. Like, unless the mole is Anna, the mole didn't throw all the answers, which is the obvious mole sabotage here. Unless they did, like, the Kathy Griffin thing of basically putting themselves, like, getting their own one right, and then putting the same person for every single other one. Oh, that's, yeah, could do that. Yeah, I presume that they didn't vote on their own one. 
I presume it was only judged out of the other nine people. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because if you take out yourself and you take out the person who's reading it, then you've only got to get five out of eight, which feels a little bit more achievable. Yeah, they never actually specifically say, oh yeah, it's out of nine. But I've taken it to be out of nine because it doesn't make any sense to include your own ones in there and give you a free point. Hmm. So Pepine is next. He literally put that he likes the circus in his, which is an obvious clue, but also that he likes putting pickles in his mouth. And cucumbers. And his is the only one that Karen is confident on. Jan wrote his so that it wasn't super obvious that it was him, just to test people. And we also find out that Art wrote his a little bit vague, as you just don't know what the twist of this challenge could be. (laughs) I envy people with hobbies just because they're so useful to describe yourself. It was an embarrassment of riches for me writing these intros in uh, this episode because this challenge is just chock full of stupid out of context quotes. And somebody has an obsession with topography? I can't remember what topography is. I meant to look it up. That's uh, like study of mountains and that sort of stuff. I thought it was. Well, they get to to go to a volcano. That person's going to be excited. (laughs) Well, there may be a volcano in the future. A couple. Yeah, given that they're going to Nicaragua. And now we get to my favourite bit of the episode, and it's something I guarantee you guys will not have spotted. Because there is the big old montage of everyone reading everything out and us not getting that much information about, about what anyone did or what anyone was saying. But there is one brief glimpse of something that made me laugh. And that this screenshot will 100% come back again and again and again. And I'm just forwarding it to you guys now. So there is a glimpse of one person in the montage. And it's Horace, who isn't the tallest guy in the world. And they haven't moved the microphone for him. (laughs) So the microphone is square in front of Horace's face. And I was saying this to my brother last night. There is absolutely no reason that they need to put that microphone in front of Horace's face nor that they couldn't just lower it for him for one round only. But they keep it in just because it's funny. (laughs) Because the camera angle squarely gets him in the face. If it was Bellevue, they would have made it taller just for the joke. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I know Peter Yan's a really tall guy, and it's probably done at Peter Yan height, but nobody else had trouble with it. And I think everyone else learned how to lower it, and Horace didn't. So it really made me laugh. I had to rewind the episode to make sure that I'd, I'd not imagined that they hadn't lowered the microphone for Horace. So it looks like he's he's a child basically reading out to his parents or something. And out of interest, I thought, oh, I wonder how tall Horace is. And I stumbled upon something that is glorious. And that is the auto-generated Wikipedia pages. Because there are these bots that troll the internet to try and fool Google and other search engines to basically be sources of all the information. And the problem is, they're not exactly spell-checked. So you get some interesting sentences. For example, Horace Cohen, better known by the family name Horace Cohen, is a popular television presenter. He was born on 15 October 1971 in New York City, USA. New York City is a beautiful and populous city located in New York City, USA, Netherlands. (laughs) Horace Cohen entered the career as television presenter in his early life after completing his formal education. Or indeed, this one. Horace, who brought in $3 million to $5 million net worth, Horace collected most of his earnings from his Yeezy sneakers. While he had exaggerated (laughs) over the years about the size of his business, 
the money he pulled in from his profession really enough to rank one of the biggest celebrity cash outs of all time. His basic income source is mostly from being a successful television presenter. His has a whopping net worth of $5 to $10 million, in addition to his massive social media following actor. What? Yeah, but according to this, I'm sure perfectly accurate, also generated Wikipedia page, Horace's height is listed as six foot two, which, looking at that picture, probably makes Peter Yan somewhere around seven foot six. Well, the Dutch are a tall people. So in other words, we've now successfully established that Peter Yan Hagen's is a giant. No wonder they were all sitting up straight in their chairs. Yeah, it's the gravitational pull of Peter Yan's large, large field. Yeah, he could just reach, if somebody was misbehaving, he could just reach out without moving a step, use his arm to pluck somebody out of the audience and get and scold them. I went down a proper Google rabbit hole yesterday when trying to find out what Horace's actual height is, and I still don't know, but that picture made me laugh, and this auto-generated Wikipedia page made me laugh as well. Because apparently New York City, USA is in the Netherlands now. Well, which is kind of a reverse since New York City was originally named New Amsterdam. And I did know that Horace was American by birth, but I think his family moved back fairly early in his life. I think he's lived most of his life in uh, in the Netherlands, but he is um, American by birth. But I'm glad that that's, um, that tickled you guys. It really made me laugh when I was watching that episode yesterday. So back to the challenge. Patrick says that everyone has told him they're suspect apart from Hannah and Anna because they trust him. And as Horace says at the end of the episode, trust nobody. Anna's story was Karen, and that was 8 out of 9. The second one was Hannah with 4 out of 9. Horace was 3 out of 9. Mariana was 7 out of 9. Pepine was 7 out of 9. Anna was a full house. Patrick was 4 out of 9. Yan was 6 out of 9. Sundos was 6 out of 9. And Art was 5 out of 9 meaning they earned six times 250 euros, or 1,500 euros of $2,500 for the challenge. How did they all get Anna's right when two people couldn't even work out that Pepine was the circus dude? I think it was because she said she was a ringleader, and from what we've seen of Anna, she likes to insert that she's a ringleader in every conversation, no matter what. She likes to take control. Wasn't there something about Star Wars in the bio, too? Probably. Star I wrote down the note that uh, somebody liked Star Wars shirts, and she was the only one wearing one. Yeah, I I didn't pay attention to all of the details, I'll be honest. I was just picking out the hilarious quotes from these bios, knowing what was coming. It's a bit, it's a bit more distinguished than somebody who says, I'm allergic to cats. I'm allergic to cats, and also I envy people who have hobbies, so they have something to write down. So Art makes Patrick look suspicious after the challenge, keeping suspicion away from Karen, who is their suspect. And he says he hopes that Patrick will be high on some of the lists after this episode. So whose stories weren't identified? Not the ones who read them, but the ones who wrote their own stories? So Hannah was below six. She had four. Horace was three. Patrick was four. And Art was five. Oh, okay. And then straight after sundown, they are taken to the abandoned Academy of the Arts, and Sundos probably thinks that it's a clue to Art being the mole. (laughs) She's just seen clues everywhere. Academy of the Arts. There's a contestant named Art. Yeah. It's an obvious clue in retrospect that Art is the mole. I can't wait till next week when they go to like a, a department store and then she thinks it's a clue to Karen. When they have a speaking to the manager challenge. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear this, Sundas, I love you, really. <laughs> I just couldn't resist with that one. So Peter Yan gives them two and a half thousand euros immediately. And all they've got to do to bank it is put it in the box that is at the other side of the Academy of the Arts. 
Sadly for them, it is well protected by tripwires, booby traps, landmines, and shooters. And Sundos basically loses her shit when she realizes what's coming. I think the it's all, the path is also blocked by uh, laser beams, turrets, grenades, um, flesh flesh eating sharks, and weirdly, Bo Ryan offering hooks. Yeah, a streaking Bo Ryan, which makes it even more frightening. Anyway, they don't go all out on the laser tag challenge branding here, which is a little bit odd, because within a couple of seasons, basically, oh, laser challenge, yay! But they never really mention it here. I do have a note that is, it's refreshing to see a laser game happen without everybody losing their shit when Peter Yan announces it. Yeah. When did that become a thing? Um, maybe South Africa? Because I don't think they do it in Spain with the light generator thing. Yeah, because South Africa has two, if I remember rightly, because it has the helicopter one and another one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think there's one fairly early in the season, as is traditional, and then there's the lazy helicopter challenge towards the end. Yeah, I think they do. They mention it for the second one, because I think the person in the helicopter was really excited about it from memory. But they're, they're definitely doing it by Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong, everyone lost the shit in episode two, 100%. Laser game. I think if I had to put money on it, I probably would have guessed that South Africa, it feels like a South Africa change where everyone immediately goes, oh my god, we get to go to the laser game. Hmm. But yeah, it's very interesting that Sundas is basically the only person who's like, oh my god, laser game. But I think Sundas would be like that no matter what sort of amazing theatrical challenge they got to do. I think that's just Sundas. I don't think that's a laser game thing. I feel like she sort of just does that for everything. Oh my god, pancakes. Oh my god, gherkin. <laughs> I really hope that we befriend Sundas when these episodes come out. Me too. So, Peter Yan also suggests that they do a recce before committing money to it, and they have to either travel in pairs or solo. Arts and Sundas both say in confessional that the group debates everything ad nauseum, and they decide to send a couple of explorers, then commit with the money, and Karen is volunteered to go first. I really like this laser game. This is probably my favourite one, aside from the theme park. Yeah, it's clever without being ridiculous. Like, a lot of the time in more recent laser games, and bear in mind we're recording this before Vidim 2023, so it could have completely changed. But in more recent Vidim seasons, they love to go all out with the laser game and make them stupid and ridiculous. And yes, they're a visual spectacle, but also ones like this are way more fun where actually it's a challenge for the contestants, but it's doable. Yeah, this one feels like a little bit of a teamwork exercise, even though they're basically going at it one at a time. Whereas a lot of the a lot of the ones we've had since are basically just sort of one person, and then you you get the walkie-talkie to explain to everyone else, but it's pretty much just one person does a thing. Yeah, this is a strategy game more than anything yeah. else, which is what makes it so refreshing compared to the more recent laser games that we've seen. And arguably, I do love the theme part one as well, just because it is so unnecessarily OTT. But I also quite like this, yes, they're committing to the abandoned building aspect of it, which they obviously love to do in more recent Vidim seasons, but also there is a little bit of intelligence to this challenge as well, and strategy, as well as it being a a brilliant spectacle and people going, how the hell did I get shot? So Karen spots a tripwire and cuts it while avoiding the snipers on the roof, and while she was lying under the bush, she thought that it was so much fun. As she is mentioning the route past the first corner, she then gets sniped. Patrick is the second to run, and he immediately sets off a booby trap. Puff! And he's very confused by it. 
it's a good 10 seconds into his run where he just stands on the first thing and goes, oh, fuck, I've lost. How? Is it a malfunction? Is this thing on? Miriana is third, and she finds an enormous bomb, and despite the blunt scissors, she then cuts another tripwire, and she gets shot after cutting another wire, but the map actually shows us that she cuts six. So she doesn't get enough credit for that. Hannah is fourth, and she takes the, I would say, novel tactic of not talking. (laughs) And she doesn't just explain what she sees, but also what she's thinking at the time, much to the amusement of everyone else. Boris is both laughing and annoyed. Oh, this would be infuriating. Because the one thing you need in a challenge like this is a clear line of communication. And when someone is, I'll say it, socially awkward, like Hannah, I think this would get very old very quickly. You want someone to be quite focused and quite direct and quite to the point in a challenge like this. And if someone's going, oh, it's a beautiful pillar. Oh, this is a wonderful challenge. You're just like, get to the fucking point. This building was constructed in 1789 by the Spanish conquistadors. I'm sure I will have a chance to look at these beautiful columns when I actually have my turn. But for now, just get right to the point, please. My walking speed is about 6 kilometers an hour. My running speed is hovering (laughs) around 11 or 12 kilometers. I just took a really deep breath. Now a smaller one. Now a deeper one. Oh no, I've been shot. I'm out of the challenge. God damn it. There's some wonderful unintentional comedy here as well when they think that she got shot, but actually she just fell over her own feet. (laughs) (laughs) Do we send the next person? And she cuts a wire and then gets shot. And then we get Sundos, who finds a lot of wires and cuts a few before getting shot. Horace is sick, and he reaches where Sundos got shot, and then it became fun for him. He says it was everything that he was promised, just like being Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. And he gets shot while running. With only two wires left, Anna still wants to explore, and she is seventh to run and reaches the point where Horace is sniped, and then conveniently the walkie-talkie stops working. Uh-oh, that's yeah. a mole action. Yeah, it's a big old mole red flag, that is when a walkie-talkie stops working. And she hits a bomb and is out. Pepine is then sent out in eight, and he sees a loss of snipers on the roof, and he almost takes out a cameraman, but then gets shot himself. Yeah, the cameraman just falls over. I'm not part of this challenge! Leave me alone, Pepine! <laughs> and then we cut back to Art and Yan debating whether to go together or separately, and they let Pepine choose who had what to win trust with him, and he chose to give Yan 1,500 euros and Art 1,000, and they decide to go together. After Art is faster than light at running, they run together, so the snipers have to choose between the two targets. However, somehow Yan manages to draw blood on his finger, jeopardizing their run. At least he didn't cut an artery or something and they were really limited on on time. The only place I can think of him having cut himself like that is on one of the hay bales. If it was cut with like wire or something, then he must have just caught it awkwardly and slashed his finger or something. Hmm. Cuz I was trying to work out how the hell he's managed to injure himself on on a challenge like this where there shouldn't be many sharp edges. So they then reach unknown territory and have to be careful not to step on corrugated pieces for fear of landmines. Art makes a run for it and gets himself shot, losing them the thousand euros. And then we get the beautifully novel tactic of Yan using a hay bale as a shield to reach the box, (laughs) winning them 1500 euros of two and a half thousand for the challenge. Him using the hay bale as a shield I think gets referenced three or four more times after this challenge is over. It's such a game-breaky thing to do and I 
I really appreciate it. Have we seen hay bales in future laser games after this season? Now Lena and Christy are too busy pushing them out. Yeah, they're all enrolled. <laughs> so Jan says he thinks he's unmasked them all already, spoken like everyone who's signing their own death warrants. And yet he still doesn't. <laughs> and in the evening, they celebrate Pepine's birthday with a real-life El Salvadorian piñata. And Horace gives him the one present that he wants, a yoker that has to be used in this episode. I like how the piñata looked like Ronald McDonald. It gave him real Salvadorian toys and everything. I just kept getting distracted by the music in this episode. Because we've got basically Pepine's Dutch birthday song for some reason transitioning into like a terrifying orchestral bullfight. And then we had like Anna's weird, you know, silent film attempt (laughs) in the laser tag. I just love the fact that they treat Horace giving him the yoker as this big thing and it's such a wonderful thing to do. And then you look back at episode one and it's like, yeah, Horace picked up five yokers that have to be used in episode two. The dude is not really giving away much. He's probably already safe just using four yokers. It's a bit of a backhanded gift. It's like, yeah, I'm going to give you a yoker, which has to be used this episode. It's like, I have a billion dollars. I'm going to give you ten dollars. There you go. And at no point would the best present I could get from this cast come from Horace Cohen. And then in a bit of, how do you put it, Probstian rewriting of history, Peter Yan says the women kept their heads cool to disable the booby traps, unlike the men apart from Yan. And as much as obviously Art is a bit of a shit in this season, I think Peter Yan is doing him a slight disservice here. Art did very well in this challenge. Because he directed all of the strategy. They were constantly showing Art, telling everybody what to do, and then him and Yan discussing what to do at the very end. Art may not have cut many of the wires, but Art was an integral part of them winning 1,500 euros in this challenge. Yeah, because he was heavily involved, because it was Anna doing the drawings, and Art was directing everybody. So that leads me to another question. Did Peter Yan and Art get along all that well during filming? I think they did. As much as Peter Yang gets along with anyone. Because I'm thinking it's very rare to have two hosts where one is the host and the other is the contestant in the same season in Vidim, because I guess it wouldn't be happening again until, I guess, Art Art and Rick? Yeah, Art and Rick in Sri Lanka. I, I came across something they did for the 20th anniversary. There was like this, basically, panel show. They got all of the hosts of Vidim together to sort of reminisce, except Art. So they had Angela, Carol, Peter Yarn, some weird fan who was on in Sri Lanka, but they just couldn't get art for some reason. So they ended up basically finding some like random early boot contestant from the first celebrity season to just sort of fill in. The art thing is a weird thing because he didn't necessarily leave Vidim of his own volition. He got offered a pretty good job on another network, so wasn't allowed to continue. Yeah. So I wonder whether it goes back to that. I think those rules have lapsed now because he's he's not necessarily just working for that network anymore. But I think he probably had it in his contract at the time that he wasn't allowed to appear on the Avro. So he wouldn't have been allowed to do the retrospective special even if he wanted to. Which I presume he would. I think Art probably looks back quite fondly on his time on Vidim. And I certainly don't think him and Peter Yan don't like each other. I think Peter Yan's just a little bit cantankerous with everybody he comes across on this show. Because it's sort of his job in this show. He is, as I said in Japan, basically acting as a distant spy chief. And he he goes into it with the 
idea of keeping a little bit of emotional distance between him and the contestants, no matter who they are and no matter how much he likes them. I think you can tell by the reunion that he does actually like everyone on every season that he's part of. I certainly don't think Peter Yen has the capacity to hate. I think he's just casually indifferent towards people when he's actually on the show. That makes sense. I don't think anyone could really hate Art, to be honest. I think he's maybe a little bit irritating at points during this season, but I think I would be quite friendly with him. I think he'd be a a fascinating guy. Oh, yeah. So before the first candidate leaves the game, they must come together to look at a piece of art. And Sundos also thought that this might have been a clue to it being (laughs) Art, who was the mole. It's his finger. And if you think for a second that I'm not going to keep doing that joke, you are wrong. Because may I remind you that the first test and execution did indeed take place in the National Art Gallery of El Salvador, which I'm sure made Sundas's alarm bells ring. So Hannah says that some people will be looking at her already, so this is her moment to sabotage the challenge before the next test and execution. And they meet Peter Yan on the other side of a giant photo frame in a square. They will see a living picture in a minute's time and must study it and then they will see it a second time with some slight differences. They must spot the ten differences, and name one per candidate. If only in between the transition of the two tableaus, that in that one minute lapse where they're all taken away, somebody gets murdered and they come back, and they're thinking, well, well, I know at least one difference for sure. (laughs) Surprise murder mystery challenge. (laughs) Spot the ten differences. We covered up the tray. There seems to be a random knife in the square. Oh, look, there's somebody using a hay bale as a shield. That's why that person didn't die. And this is, I have to say, an utter mess of a challenge. It's so easy for the mole to sabotage this as they lampshade in the actual challenge itself. The mole can just make sure that they're at the end of the queue and sabotage as much as they want. But also, the fact that everyone is studying the first picture and people just won't shut up. Anna kept talking. Art plugged his ears because of how annoyed he got with everyone else talking. Even though he still got his wrong. <laughs> yeah, this challenge is one of the messiest I can remember in this season. Well, it's tough because they're not... The people aren't staying still. They're constantly moving and they're pulled away and then they come back and now you have to spot ten differences when people are moving again. How would you have done with the differences? I think I would have been alright. My short-term memory is pretty good. It depends where you are in the line as well, because if yeah. you're if you're quite late in the line, then obviously the number of differences you can remember are limited. And as we said when we were chatting about this earlier, we only between us have managed to work out all ten differences, I think. Yeah. It's tough, even for ten different brains, and obviously one of the ten is deliberately trying to sabotage as much as possible whether that's speaking yeah. far too much whether that's deliberately going towards the end of the line to to make sure that the chain gets broken or whether that's just being a general irritant we don't know yet yeah i thought i would have been pretty good but then i had to watch the challenge about five or six times to actually find all 10 of them like there was a few of them i probably wouldn't have got the switch bassist for example that sundas gets yeah but the crabman's lack of bags. Obviously, Pepine biffs that a little bit, but I got that one straight away. I got the ice cream straight away, and obviously we have the, the benefit of seeing it on screen and it being highlighted to us what the changes are. And I got the one that I don't think you got in the end, which was the fact that the uh, camera didn't flash in the second one. 
which is a massively obvious one, I think, that I'm very surprised nobody mentioned. Hmm. Do you want the list of all ten? Yeah. Okay, so the cop moves forward. Yep, which Patrick got. The musician switches sides in the band. Sundas got that. In the couple, the woman is on the other side. That's Horace's one. The different ice cream got bought. That's Anna's one. The camera didn't flash. Which was my one. The crabs. Which Pepine biffed. Yep. The umbrella changes from blue to yellow. Yep, which I spotted. The two park cleaners. Uh, in the first one, one of them is using a rake and then putting it into a bin, and the other one's holding the bin, and they, they switch roles. Didn't spot that one. Uh, so the lady who sort of run, walks around in circles shouting, um, she... The first time she exits to the left of the gazebo and then the second time she exits to the right. She's called Sundos. <laughs> and on the right-hand side, there's two. There's like an old lady and then there's a younger woman with her. In the second one, the younger woman is sitting down instead of, stand, instead of standing. Yeah, that one's a tough one to get. So I probably would have got about five of those. Like. Yeah. How would you have done Sundos out of interest? Well, I have to... Sometimes there are these activities uh, when I teach the really young Chinese students. And there's there's been I think there's been once or twice where they'll beat me to the one of the details of the differences in the pictures. So I think I'd probably get about half. I mean, as we've proven this episode alone, you don't really pay attention to any of the details that we give you. Yeah, but this is all audio. This is all visual. There is one little interesting quirk that makes it a little bit harder to predict how well I would have done on this, even though I eventually found them all. The last. Australian season basically recycled this challenge, even though the setting was completely different. They were in a theme park or something. About half of the differences are the same. So that they still have the ice cream, they still have the switched umbrella, they still have the guitar switching. Well, that's the thing. Like, if somehow we ever did do Mole Australia Six, the history of that season is super interesting in terms of how terribly they managed to play it. In terms of you know getting the host they wanted, for example. But most of those challenges are just copied from this era of Vidim. Yeah, I think at the time they were filming, there were four seasons of Vidim that had subtitles on YouTube. So there was uh, the Australia-Indonesia season, and then Japan, this one, and the next one. And I think about 80% of the challenges were recycled from those four seasons. So they just watched them all and said, okay, we've got our season now. Yeah, pretty much. And then sort of didn't think, you know why the challenges worked like they did there was a challenge on vidim they did in the final episode where there was like three players remaining in australia they did it with 10 they did chain gang with like 14 people yeah uh art i think had a quote here where he said that uh wouldn't go over too well today i don't think he says that this task is where you have to act like rain man quotes that you can't say as a host but you can barely get away with as a contestant Quotes that don't age well, I think, is a, a book that we're going to have to bring out eventually. All the Vidim quotes that you probably shouldn't say in polite company anymore. I like how when Hannah gets hers wrong, when they all put their guess of what one of the differences are, and because Hannah really wants to sabotage this challenge, so she pretends to act dumb, and it was so blatantly wrong that Horace has a very exaggerated confessional. Really? And Karen also talks about it at the end. She's just like, I'm really confused as to how Hannah, with her brilliant memory, managed to get anything wrong here. So yeah, as we said, when they see both, Peter Yan returns and tells them they'll earn 200 euros per difference, but if someone gets one wrong in the queue, 
it will go back down to zero. Sundas is first and is right about the switch bassist. Patrick's right about the policeman walking forward, but then Karen gets it back down to zero when she's wrong about a woman reading a different book. Pepine is fourth and is right about the crabman's lack of bags, but then gives too much details and says it's muscles, so Pete Yan says no. Anna then gets the ice cream spot correct, but Art is then wrong about the ice cream vendor reading a paper. Horace is right about the couple's order being swapped before Hannah restrains herself from giving a right answer, which Horace is very confused about. And then Mariana says the photographer changed, but is wrong. And Art says in confessional that the mole knows to be late in the running order because you can tank it. And then Yan is the last person up and is wrong that the couple appeared before the photographer, meaning they are nothing of 2,000 euros for the challenge, 3,000 euros of 7,000 for the episode, and 9,100 of 24,650 for the season so far. I did love the Peter Yan dick moment of making Yan explain the difference in the second skit, even though he already knew it was obvious he was wrong. Yeah, like Peter Yan has so much fun just being a complete colossal bell end to these people. <laughs> he should have really stretched it out with somebody and say, oh, can you elaborate on that difference? Yeah, oh, no, that's not specific enough. Can you just add that detail? What do you mean, what do you mean by that? Oh, sorry, you, were, you already got it wrong in the first sentence. This is the first time in the season where we really see the classic P.E. and Dick moments. There is an even better one coming when we hit Nicaragua. Because he has his ultimate P.E. and Dick moment in Nicaragua. And then there's one even further later on where he basically makes fun of like actual locals. Like, P.E. Yan is very much in, this is my last season, I'm going to have a lot of fun mode. Yeah. During a few of these episodes. So they got 4 out of 10 correct, and Karen is confused as to how Hannah got it wrong with her excellent memory. And then Peter Yan soils the mood even more by telling them to prepare for test and execution. And it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Art has five yokers to use on any test. And Horace and Pepine have three and one respectively that have to be used in this test. And it's also worth pointing out, as Hannah does say in her confessional bit here, that if she gets through this test, she has two exemptions for episode three, one to keep and one to give to a friend. Yan is so sure that he has put everything on his mole. Art says a lot of people already have a mole, and he wishes he had one already, like a hobby. All the people saying look at the hard facts don't realise that you can take your facts with your own opinion. And I have to especially draw attention to that quote, because that is pretty much my argument on any mole season. Is that it's very easy to get tunnel visioned, but also, don't forget that you get a lot of confirmation bias as soon as you've decided on a mole. It's something I suffer from a lot when we do suspicions, and when we do pools is I immediately hone in on someone. Occasionally I'm right, but a lot of the time I'm shocked in the finale when they're wrong. Sundos is on Patrick, Papine, Art and Anna. Anna is on Art and is spreading over three people. Karen's on Papine, Art and Yan. Mariana's on Hannah, Karen and Papine with a little bit of Patrick mixed in. And Hannah points out she has the exemption for episode three, so this test has consequences. Horace plays his three yokers and wanted to see Papine's reaction to being given one, and it's all about building trust. And on the back of that, Pepine says he trusts Horace and Patrick the most, he plays his Joker, and we finally get Horace's trust nobody. He said it! He said it! I know. Say it, Bart. He said the line. <laughs> there were a lot of people picking art for no reason here, except for basically him being a bit of a dick to everyone. Yeah, do you think that if you didn't know that art does well in this season and isn't the mole, that you would have suspected him here? Probably a little bit. I mean, he didn't get the money into the vault at the end of the laser game. He had Mm. a lot of power there. 
No, I think it's very interesting because Art in episode one especially was very much portrayed as being the Vidim fan who gets to live out his dream. And there is a little bit of Sundos mixed in with that archetype as well. But Art reminds me a lot of how Sophie plays in Hong Kong Philippines in that he is very no-nonsense when it comes to trying to just attract suspicion himself, but also win himself a lot of money if possible. Because he is inherently confident that he's going to be the winner at the end of the season. And if he's the winner at the end of the season, he wants a big pot for himself. So there's a lot of similarities between those two, I think. Well, it also makes for a good mole host is the mysterious factor to their personality. And Art has a little bit of that mysterious personality, which would just naturally make him suspicious whenever he gets to play as a contestant. Yeah, we obviously complain a lot about the superfan archetype on some of the shows that we cover. And this is obviously off the back of a conversation that I've been having earlier on on Discord. But we complain a lot about the superfan archetype and people coming into a show going, I've waited my whole life to do this show. I'm going to make the most of it and get myself invited for an all-star season, which is obviously something we saw with Survive South Africa last year. And I don't think Art is playing for a potential return. I don't think Art is playing for anything other than the title of being the person who unmasked them all. Yeah. He does not want to lose. He's very competitive. No, he's very competitive. He doesn't want to lose, and he doesn't want to waste his one opportunity, which is something that comes up time and time and time again when you get a quote-unquote superfan archetype of people going, I'm going to just be memorable in my first season and I'll get invited back for a second one and that's where I'll end up doing well. And it's like, no, play for keeps the first time around and if you get invited back then, then you get a bit of fun off the back of inevitably getting voted out first. One other thing to note about Art is that in each challenge, he's always... More so than a lot of contestants, he's really trying to figure out how to get around the challenge. He's always dissecting it. That's one thing I've noted. And then even when there isn't a challenge going on, he I mean, we saw the scheme at the start of this episode where he hatches a plan with Patrick that they'd make each other suspicious. And after the first challenge, he wanted to point out that Patrick was being suspicious with his story. I think of all the people in this cast... If I was on this season, I would not want to go up against Art. Because he's very intimidating when it comes to strategy. Yeah. Even in the first two episodes of this season. He would be a formidable opponent in the final three. So Peter Yan says that this theatre will be the last of El Salvador that one person sees. Anna, Horace, Miriana, Pepine and Yan all get green screens before Hannah gets the red, nullifying both of her exemptions for episode three. I did laugh at Horace and Papine both making these really over-the-top crying faces and then nobody else really seeming to care. Yeah, I've noted that too. Horace and Papine look devastated. Papine and Hannah whispered to each other that they suspected each other as the mole, which would be close to a violation of the rules when you're executed. Because that's, that's the reason why the host always whisks the eliminated contestant out of the room is before they can give away any valuable information. So it's very surprising that not only did this interaction happen, but that they chose to air it. I mean, the fact that nobody else cared is hilarious. But the fact that Peter Yan doesn't care either. Her eulogy is so forgettable. I have no notes written about her eulogy from Peter Yan because there's nothing to it. There's zero substance. Yeah, it's very much a the butler did it eulogy. 
it's just like a oh, you were a character on this season. Cool. Bye. Yeah. Laters. And she was going to give her exemption to Anna. Yeah. Next round. Yeah. So it's going to be Han and Anna through. Her and Anna agreed at the Path of Temptation that given Anna gave her the information that uh, the exemption for episode three and one for a friend was available, that Hannah had to say, yes, I'll give it to you if you uh, if you tell me whereabouts it is. So yeah, Anna would have been immune in episode three and then potentially episode five if she makes it that far. Yeah, I'm glad we avoided a situation where we have Anna, Han, and Mariana all the way through, along with Peter, Yan, and Yan. So next time, Karen is a walking misunderstanding, Yan gets wet, everyone puts a performance on, and an escape room challenge causes absolute carnage. There is a tiny bit of editorialising there from me, because I remember the escape room challenge very well. It's probably my favourite challenge of the season. Yeah, it's an absolute mess. There is no better way to put it. So, Saunders, who did you suspect? Anna was first, then Hannah, then Mariana, then Papine, then Karen, then Soundos, then Patrick, and then Yan. Obviously excluding the two people in this season who you know the mole is not. Yes. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? i got one little weird thing about Hannah. She's one of only two um, Vidim alumni to appear in the New York Times. Really? Yeah. Want to take a guess who the other one is? Nikki? Is that the New York Times for New York City, USA or New York City, USA? <laughs> Netherlands. <laughs> I need to find out just to, to sort of work out the level. Sinan Chan? Uh, it wasn't either of those, but now I'm really panicking that Nikki's in there and I, for- I haven't realised it. But I was thinking... Because I looked it up, the only one other one I could find, Florentine Hoffman with his big duck energy. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Does Logan even remember who that is? <laughs> yeah, he was in check, yeah. No, I was, I was more wondering whether Logan actually remembered that, given it's a year and a half ago at this point. Oh, specifically the big duck energy thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, Florentine, specifically, but also big duck energy. I don't know. What was the big duck energy thing again? He did like an art installation, not a clue, Sundas, don't worry. Um, he did like art installations of giant inflatable rubber ducks. That sounds vaguely familiar now. And the fun thing is, I watched Amazing Race 28 recently, and you know how like China does knockoffs of everything? In the China episode, you see one of their knockoffs of the rubber duck. I think there was one in China. Yeah. I remember looking this up. I think there there actually was an official one in China. Yeah. You guys got anything else you want to say? Nope. I'm good. In that case, thank you very much for listening to our VSMOL 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mole in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsacracky, Bindles is the Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Helmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. What's a hobby?